supplement market, the tight labour market is really a conundrum um, that's driving this sense that, the, you know, um, despite the, you know, some obvious headline reductions across the board, the market, labour market's tight. That concerns the Fed more than anything uh, because that uh, can lead into um, a, you know, additional price pressures, wage price spiral in the old uh, definition. And I suspect that that's where the Fed are probably trying to temper the expectations on the market not to get ahead of themselves uh, because they are concerned that the labour tightness will continue to keep prices up and wage pressures up. And that's something that we're watching very closely. Toby, thanks very much indeed. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who's director at Staten Advice. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a final look at the markets for this week. They're in Australia right now. Uh, the SX200 uh, is currently off 0.8%. The Nikkei 225, though, is moving in the other direction in Japan. Japanese stock's up about 0.4%. The Cosby in South Korea is down half a percent. And futures on uh, Hong Kong stocks sliding a little bit more now. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to open um, about 125 points or so lower later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening this morning and all this week. Have a great weekend. Do please join me again on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. Coming up after the news is Back Chat with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today and the weekend, mainly cloudy, misty, one or two light rain patches morning and at night, warm with sunny periods in the afternoon. The maximum temperature is going to be about 25 degrees. And then the outlook is to become humid and foggy in the next couple of days. Temperature right now, 20 degrees. 88% relative humidity. Coming up to 8.32, here's Barry O'Rourke with the half-hour news. An environmentalist has questioned what the government is doing to sustain improvements made in air quality over the past decade. Patrick Fung, CEO of Clean Air Network, was commenting after the Environmental Protection Department said last year's air quality was the best in a decade. Mr Fung said this was due to efforts by scientists, the community and the previous two terms of government questions should be made on what the current administration of government aims to do in order to sustain the improvement. But there are also other worries. EPD also admitted that at certain districts, such as Kuntong, Shemshoipo, Kwaichong, the air pollution level was still high. And these are areas with high population density. And also the regional ozone is still a big threat unresolved. And as far as we know, there is no regional pollution reduction target set for 2025 and 2030, and there's no action plan agreed among the GBA cities, so these are areas we should work harder. Turning overseas, Monday's devastating earthquakes in Turkey and Syria are now known to have killed more than 20,000 people. The head of the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, has warned that the full extent of the disaster has yet to be discovered. The Syrian authorities have not granted full access to opposition-controlled areas, many of which have been battered by years of civil war. Father Tony Riordan is with the Jesuit Refugee Service in the city of Aleppo, and he described conditions there. Before the earthquake hit on Monday, one of my colleagues described the situation as hell. So if it was hell a few days before the earthquake hit, we're now in the deepest level of hell. The infrastructure that was already degraded, the housing, the, the public infrastructure, the electrical supply, the physical support for food, the healthcare, all of these things were degraded. Now they have been compounded. 
Meanwhile, thousands of people have offered to adopt a baby, a baby girl who was born under the rubble of a collapsed building in northwest Syria following the earthquake. When she was rescued, baby Aya, which means miracle in Arabic, was still connected to her mother by her umbilical cord. Her mother, father and four siblings died after the quake hit. Volodymyr Zelensky has told the European Parliament that his country is fighting Russia not just to defend itself, but also Europe's way of life. Speaking alongside Mr Zelensky, the European Commission President, Ursula von der Leyen, said Ukraine's future belonged in the EU. Dear Volodymyr, between now and this bright future, there may be a hard road to tread, but rest assured that we will be with you along every step of the way. Let's turn Ukrainians' dreams into reality. And we'll have more news at 9 o'clock on RTHK. Good morning. This is Back Chat for Friday, February the 10th. Welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Work. And I'm Janice Wong. Today, we are looking at the devastating Turkey and Syria earthquake. At least 20,000 people have died so far as rescue teams continue to search for survivors amid the freezing weather and the risk of aftershocks. Hong Kong has sent a search and rescue team to Turkey and a number of charity organizations have also launched their own fundraising campaigns. And we'll get the latest on what is happening there and find out what Hong Kongers can do to help. After 9.15 a.m., we'll speak to a runner ahead of the Hong Kong Marathon on Sunday. Let us know what you think about what's happening on our Facebook page, Backchat on rthk.hk. Uh, sorry, email us at backchat at rthk.hk. The Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Or give us a call on 233-88266. We'd love to hear your voice. Uh, first up, uh, we have uh, three guests on today. And I'd like to start by welcoming uh, in the studio here at Broadcast House, uh, Payami Kalyangcha, who is the Consul General of Turkey in Hong Kong and Macau. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Good morning, Good morning, everyone. Good morning. We'd also like to welcome Carol Sito, who is the CEO of Save the Children Hong Kong. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, getting us more on the science side, we have uh, Tan Yen Zhou, who is the Assistant Professor, Earth System Science Programs of the Faculty of Science at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. And so this morning, I think I'd like to start with uh, Mr. Kayonta. Um, uh, first of all, family and friends of yours in Turkey, how are they, how are they faring? Uh, thank you, Andrew, for asking that. Uh, my family, immediate friends, uh, they are all okay. But of course, uh, this is an, a huge earthquake. Mm -hmm. So friends, 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 families, we are receiving a lot of sad news. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes also very good news that like people are saved live uh, from the rubbles. Mm -hmm. So the situation is uh, really dire at the moment. Mm -hmm. the, the weather is not favorable. It's winter time. Uh, we are doing everything we can to reach as many as uh, uh, people uh, alive and save them uh, from the rebels uh, at this moment. Okay. Thank you. And, and how is that rescue effort being coordinated? Is it, is it uh, driven from the capital? Is it, is it regionally led? Is it from the military? Is it from other organizations in, in society? Our, uh, currently, our state, uh, our government is using all capabilities available. Uh, we have... Uh, a central disaster and um, uh, emergency situation management agency, mm. uh, which is directly a central government agency. Uh, they coordinate this AFAD. AFAD coordinates uh, all uh, kind of disaster and like humanitarian relief activities inside Turkey and abroad as well. So they are coordinating all the search and rescue operations uh, in, uh, and all um, uh, capabilities, including civilian and military and also volunteers 
they are being used. Uh, at the same time, uh, we, uh, from the very beginning of the earthquake, uh, Turkey made a call to the international community. Uh, so far, like uh, 95, more than 95 countries have already directly supported aid. And uh, as far as uh, we know, more than 50 countries uh, have their search and rescue teams either directly from the governments or like civilian uh, volunteer uh, foreign uh, search and rescue teams are in the region. As you have already mentioned, uh, we are grateful that uh, also uh, Hong Kong SAR government, uh, they replied very fast and positively to our call and they sent a very strong team of 59 uh, professional urban search and rescue officers to the region and they have already uh, headed to the, um, the earthquake area to assist the search and rescue operation. And uh, what about these survivors? I mean, uh, what's their situation? Are, are many of them still stuck uh, without shelter, food and water? What's that? What their, what's their situation? Uh, so let me explain uh, a bit about the region uh, that the earthquake uh, hit. This is, um, uh, uh, according to the experts and according to our like historical data, this is uh, two of the uh, three biggest earthquakes in 120 years happened just in nine hours. Uh, in a and this earthquake uh, directly uh, affected uh, 10 provinces. So like uh, we are talking about an area as big as any medium-sized country, which is directly affected. Um, uh, around 14, 15 million people are uh, living uh, inside this earthquake uh, area. Uh, so uh, survivors are directly taken to the hospitals the, the, depending on their condition. If their condition allows, they, are, uh, they, uh, when they go to uh, to shelters, to temporary housing. Our government has also opened all Antalya region, all touristic cap uh, capacity is now dedicated to uh, welcoming all the survivors uh, of the earthquake. Uh, Kızılay, uh, Turkish uh, Red Crescent, uh, AFAD, and um, the, uh, all the central and local government uh, units, uh, we have already established uh, hundreds of thousands of tents in the region, uh, which are like winter uh, equipped uh, tents as well. Uh, so the first priority is, of course, um, uh, reaching out to as many live uh, survivors as possible and also providing them a suitable, um, uh, uh, suitable shelters uh, suitable to the winter condition at this moment. Mm -hmm. um, Professor Tan, uh, you know, we, we just heard that this was the, uh, you know, the, the biggest, I think you said, in 100, 120 years. Um, what, what are the continuing threats from aftershocks uh, after this kind of an earthquake? Or maybe, actually, let's back it up a little bit. What kind of earthquake was this in particular? Was these, were these plates colliding? Were these plates one coming under the other? Can you give us a bit of background on the, on the earthquake itself? Um, yeah, so the, essentially the background for this earthquake is that um, we have the Arabian plate to the south, right, that is essentially shoving into Europe. And so what that is doing is that it's pushing out central Turkey, kind of like a watermelon seed to the west. And so the boundary of this um, sliding out um, is essentially um, where the major faults in Turkey are. So the, the two main faults in Turkey are the North Anatolian Fault, um, which in um, 1930s up to 1990s have a sequence of relatively large earthquakes. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the East Anatolian Fault, which is where this current earthquake has um, occurred on. Um, and so after any large earthquakes, there's, um, you, uh, will, will be followed by a sequence of um, aftershocks. And so over the next weeks and months, you know, we'll, we'll be seeing a large number of earthquakes happening within this region. Weeks and months, and do they have the potential to be as large as the original, or do they tend to be um, of lower intensity, farther down the Richter scale? 
Uh, well, so um, generally, the, uh, the um, aftershocks, the um, activity um, decay over time. So that means that the numbers um, decreases, the sizes also decreases. Um, and so <clears throat> generally, that's apparent, but there's always a chance that um, a larger one might, might happen, but um, that's relatively small percent. Maybe there's a less than 5% chance that this will be followed by a larger earthquake, but it's not impossible. And of course, I guess a small, even a smaller impact earthquake could have, uh, you know, could trigger damage because buildings have already been damaged and are, and are in a weakened state. Right, exactly. Hmm, okay. Uh, Carol Sito, uh, Save the Children Hong Kong. Have you been making efforts to do what you can to help the people in uh, Turkey? Yes, very much so. Uh, as the Council met, uh, General mentioned just now, the situation is really, really dire on the ground. I mean, with the physical infrastructure damages and uh, the sub-zero temperature, it makes the uh, search and rescue efforts uh, really difficult. Um, in Turkey already, you know, we, we've been seeing the economic um, uh, impact and then there's huge shortages. So, you know, the gas and electricity running water, you know, all that is running out. And next door in, in Syria, this is a country that has been through 12 years of conflict. Already we have millions of people that are actually just relying on humanitarian aid uh, for their survival. So Save the Children is very much on the ground. Uh, we have offices in both countries and we are procuring a lot of essential items and that's what people need right now at this very moment, uh, right, you know, in the aftermath of this earthquake. Um, just, you know, essential items like you know, uh, milk and baby food and feeding bottles and diapers, winterization kits, all those who are supplying to the people in need and supporting the search and rescue efforts as well. Okay, and, and what can they do if, if people in Hong Kong want to direct some of their their uh, support to those efforts? What can they do? I want to get this in early in the show. So, yeah, uh, uh, right now we we have uh, uh, raised an appeal for the the earthquake in uh, in Turkey and and Syria, and uh, very much funding support is is needed. Um, we have actually a uh, initial response plan. Uh, like I mentioned before, the essential night items are, are needed right now. We're also providing cash and voucher assistance for the families to uh, meet their basic needs. Then uh, from a child protection and mental health perspective, you know, all the families and the children are traumatized. So they really need a psychological first aid um, uh, given this experience. And also very much so supporting family tracing and unification, and that's very important. And this is just the initial phase. Um, and then uh, uh, for the longer term, we also provide the you know, uh, give them access to healthcare and services and expanding our, our cash assistance program. So funding support would be really, really appreciated from the Hong Kong community. And how do they do that? Just go to your website? Yes, they can come to our website. We have LinkedIn and, and Facebook pages. Uh, we have uh, published our appeal. Um, so that would be the, the most convenient. Okay. And uh, Ms. Sito, I, I know you have some colleagues from uh, International Red Cross who are already on the ground in uh, Turkey. Can, can you tell us uh, what they've been doing and uh, possibly what, what they've been seeing? Yeah. Uh, we have uh, colleagues uh, at Save the Children in, uh, from the office and also from our regional offices. Uh, in, in, in the region, we have sent uh, additional search staff. Um, so. Right now, in this uh, initial phase, they have actually in this, just the last few days, they've been procuring a lot of the materials that we have, uh, I just mentioned before, uh, for the non-food items, for the blankets, the shelters, uh, temporary shelters, heaters, and, and um, um, the baby food and so forth. So we are very much working with also uh, other organizations. In, in these humanitarian disasters, we always work very much together. 
as the Council General mentioned, there's a central agency that's coordinating all the support from the humanitarian agencies. So we're working together and supplying, you know, whatever essential items that we can uh, to the families. So, Consul General, how, how does this how does this work? I mean, is the uh, you, you mentioned the uh, is it the AFDF? A- AFAD. It is A-F-A-D. the A-F-A-D. central agency for um, all types of disasters and uh, emergency situations. Right. So, presumably, they would have on the metaphorical speed dial the numbers of a different disaster relief groups around the world, like Save the Children, like the uh, like the Red Cross, uh, the Red Crescent, maybe, of course. Uh, how, but I mean, how do they interface with those kinds of groups? To uh, there are there their... are uh, hundreds of uh, civilian associations as well as well as international uh, groups which coordinate aid. Uh, in in Turkey currently uh, for this disaster, um, AFAD and Kızılay are the main. Kızılay is the Turkish Red Crescent, mm, okay. so they work in, on the ground with all, uh, the Red Cross and all the other um, uh, relevant um, uh, associations. Uh, so in the uh, in the first hours of the earthquake, uh, all this um, aid effort has uh, started to be coordinated by AFAD and uh, Turkish Red Crescent. And uh, on our uh, consulate webpage also we have an announcement. So uh, people can go out into our website, they can reach out to us. Um, uh, what we do is all around the world, all our embassies, more than 250 missions, including consulate generals and uh, embassies, uh, we coordinate uh, all this aid effort. We try to facilitate all this um, aid effort. For example, in Hong Kong, currently we uh, collaborate with Turkish Airlines Cargo and mm. We World Express. And uh, We World Express is uh, Turkish Airlines and the Hong Kong Chinese uh, joint venture based in Hong Kong. So they oh. opened their we- warehouse uh, mm. for free. All the cargo is now um, shipped uh, free from all around the world. Mm. Uh, we use all uh, ways of transport from all around the world. Um, we thank everyone, like they are reaching to us, uh, Turkish community, our Hong Kong friends. Uh, they uh, offer their uh, in-kind or cash uh, donations. So we channelize them uh, either if it is in-kind uh, to this uh, warehouse. And then I think tomorrow we will do the first uh, shipping from Hong Kong as well. Okay. Uh, so currently um, uh, what we receive is, as, um, um, as um, Carol mentioned, uh, the tents, uh, mm. blankets like... Um, Heaters, um, we will send them with ships, so nothing should include uh, batteries at this stage from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, all type of scarves, gloves, hats, uh, thermos, uh, mugs, uh, flashlights, again without batteries, uh, thermal clothes, sleeping bags, uh, mattresses, um, uh, diapers, um, uh, yeah. hy- hygiene kits, uh, and also uh, uh, clothing, of course, like winter yeah. uh, suitable clothing. Um, uh, for in-kind, for cash donations, we channelize, we uh, direct them to AFAD and Turkish Red Crescent website as well. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to donate um, uh, through the websites. Uh, uh, and also uh, for very special uh, circumstances when uh, some of the um, uh, business groups in Hong Kong or like uh, our very good um, uh, contacts in Hong Kong, they want to um, uh, directly do the, uh, the contribution through our consulate. We mm. also opened a new channel. Okay. We will try to um, facilitate that through a like, special account, and then we will transfer them directly to AFAD again. Uh, so from all around the world, we uh, try to coordinate these uh, aid efforts, both in kind, cash, and all, all other types of um, uh, contribution. okay. contributions. Thank you. Right. And the World Health Organization, it has warned uh, um, that there could be a secondary uh, disaster, which, which could be um, even more damaging than the initial quake. Um, is that something you're concerned about as well? Uh, in terms of uh, the earthquake itself? Yes. 
Uh, I mean, as the professor has mentioned, I, mean, I think for weeks and months and maybe even a year, the aftershocks is expected to continue. Uh, currently, um, uh, in the region, um, all the damaged buildings are like emptied. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, people will be living in um, temporary shelters and temporary housings. At certain point, we will also build uh, temporary container cities uh, at this stage. And our government, our president, uh, yesterday has announced that uh, our um, uh, government agency, which uh, builds social housing, will be building... Um, uh, Uh, new um, earthquake-resistant uh, um, uh, structures and housing uh, in the region. In one year, we are planning to finish uh, most of the uh, new uh, housing. Uh, so uh, we will use a lot of funding for this project as well. Uh, so we hope that, uh, uh, of course, like time is of the essence, like first saving the lives, but uh, in coming months and maybe in a year, we will be uh, in a better position to be uh, providing uh, new housing. In the, we will uh, start rebuilding these cities. Uh, Professor uh, Professor Tan, when we talk about rebuilding cities, um, I mean, I guess some places are maybe more earthquake resistant than other in terms of their buildings. What, what kind of priorities do they have to have, or, or uh, you know, given what's happened in the last couple of days? Um, yeah, so obviously, you know, saving saving lives is is very important in the short term, right? But then in the long term, then for the resilience of the of the um, community, then um, it is very important to have um, earthquake resistance um, building. Okay, and uh, Carol Cito, is there is there a role for NGOs to play in in providing guidance on these types of things? Very much so. Save uh, the children, for example, for us, we we have been doing uh, humanitarian relief uh, around the world. There's this initial uh, uh, relief efforts, and then for the longer term, and, and we don't know how long this is going to take. The uh, the recovery and the rebuilding phase would also take a long time. So we give a lot of guidance on child protection on mental health, psychological, uh, uh, psychosocial uh, support to children and families, uh, education support. You know, typically we also, uh, once things stabilize, we also create uh, child-friendly spaces so that children actually have a place to learn, to play, and to actually heal. So there's a lot of uh, technical guidance that we can support um, on the ground. Okay. Um, I've, got a, I've got a note here. Uh, this is from our Facebook page, so I'll use the full name. This is Steve Fabi. He says, uh, being someone that lived in Turkey for over 20 years and lived through the 99 quake in Izmit, uh, one of the things Hong Kong can help with is housing. Temporary portable housing is in excess at the moment and can be easily transported from Penny's Bay. It will take years to rebuild the housing and people can't spend that time in a tent. I remember driving past Yalova, Yalova Town in 2008. Uh, nine years after the 99 quake and temporary housing units, temporary housing units were still being used. Let's get these empty units in Penny's Bay, Kai Tak to proper use. Um, Consul General, has there, has there been any discussion about potentially using some uh, either Hong Kong expertise or even the housing itself uh, and moving it over to, to Turkey? Uh, so far, our focus was uh, sending immediate um, immediate. Um in kind uh, needs f to the area from all around the world but of course all types of this kind of ideas uh, 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 are useful i mean we can uh, pass all these information to our like central government agencies so that they take them into consideration if there is any like concrete kind of a proposal for sending uh, uh, container housings available already available from other parts of the world to turkey Of course, we will take into account and we will send that to uh, our authorities. Okay, and he mentions the uh, the earthquake in uh, 1999. I mean, 
the reason you had the AFDA is because you have experience with, with these types of disasters. Uh, what what was learned from that disaster that hopefully can, can help this time? Uh, there is a lot uh, to be learned from that earthquake as well. As you've mentioned, that was also a very um, a huge, devastating earthquake. Uh, I remember it, the magnitude was uh, 7.4 in that one. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, unfortunately, it was in the middle of the night as well. So people were caught up uh, when they were in their beds. Yeah. And uh, that area, so uh, Professor Tan uh, might explain, of course, better than me. He's an expert in the area. But in Anatolia, we have two main fault lines. One is this uh, northern Anatolian fault line, which extends towards towards Istanbul. And that uh, earthquake was on that uh, main fault line. And this one is the one, um, again, uh, starting from the northern Anatolia and going towards a bit uh, southern uh, and connecting to the Arabian Arabian Plateau. So uh, uh, after that earthquake, uh, again, our experience was like first building um, temporary shelters, tents, and then container houses, and all uh, the the damaged and um, um, uh, damaged structures were like um, rebuilt with uh, uh, earthquake uh, resistant uh, constructions. One uh, very important thing that happened after that earthquake was we we changed our uh, housing construction laws in a very uh, with a very stricter uh, standards and um, um, uh, regulations. So all uh, buildings uh, uh, that are supposed to be, um, um, uh, that are built after that earthquake actually has a very uh, higher standards uh, in all around Turkey. And all um, housings should also have a separate earthquake insurance in, in Turkey. For instance, when, you, when you're in an, an apartment, you need to have an earthquake insurance for your apartment for uh, so uh, we will uh, i think we will revisit all these regulations to bring them into higher standards mm-hmm. and also like like we did after the earthquake in 1999 we build we will build uh, stronger structures also in this uh, new uh, earthquake uh, region mm-hmm. right you mentioned how ma- uh, many of the or a lot of the housing has been uh, upgraded so they are earthquake resistant so so why is it that uh, uh, many of the buildings uh, that are affected by this earthquake uh, they, they collapse quite easily has the uh, I mean, what about those buildings in that area? Have they been uh, upgraded? Uh, buildings all around the Tur- Turkey is like uh, upgraded and they should be earthquake resistant. If they are built after 1999, right. uh, they should be um, in line with these regulations. Of course, our authorities will look into all of these. I mean, if there is any new building collapsing after the earthquake, they will look into it. They will investigate all of these. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the buildings might be built uh, before 1999. Some of them might be built uh, after that. So. All of this uh, will be, of course, like visited in a very serious way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first priority now is, of course, like uh, first um, uh, saving the lives and then re- rebuilding these cities. And um, uh, as I mentioned yesterday, our president announced that we will, um, uh, through this uh, government agency, which is uh, TOKI, which is the government social housing agency, they will already they are already planning uh, started their plans to rebuild all these uh, damaged uh, houses in the region as well. Okay, and uh, while we still have uh, Professor Tan on the line, Professor Tan, uh, in the last, say, 10 years, what advances have been made in earth sciences that could potentially give us earlier warning of these earthquakes coming? Is, have there been any advances in that to, to give us a little bit of a, an advantage? Well, um, short-term earthquake prediction, um, so far I think the consensus is that it's still not possible. But then there are earthquake early warning systems that have been um, um, implemented in quite a few countries, including um, Japan, in the U.S., in Mexico, and so on. Um, it doesn't rely on the prediction of earthquakes, but what it does is that um, once an earthquake is detected in, the, in, the, in a certain region, it can send out, because light travels faster than 
um, the seismic waves from the earthquake, mm. we can send out a warning to places that are a bit further away um, to allow them um, um, head start, for example, to um, um, turn off power lines or um, evacuate buildings before the um, damaging seismic waves actually arrive. But how much how much warning can you can you get? I mean, like you say, the speed of light is it through fiber optics or are these through satellites? Yeah, so it, it can be essentially um, most of it. Um, it's just phone uh, SMS through the phone, right? And maybe you've got what ten fifteen seconds to say earthquake now. Turn everything off. I mean, right? So so you um, it depends on how far you are from the earthquake. Um, and so, um, if you are usually, if if you have a sufficient, if you're right at the center of the earthquake, then you might not get um, enough warning. But if you are, you know, a certain distance away, like uh, tens of kilometers or hundreds of kilometers, then you might get, you know, seconds to, you know, half a minute of warning. So assuming the people that center the earthquake have the time to send a signal when they're not trying to save their lives because they're in the middle of a massive earthquake. Oh, a lot of this will, will be automated, right? For okay. example, we will have stations that's distributed everywhere, right? So anytime any a number of stations recorded um, that there's a big earthquake happening right next to the station, then it will be an automated system that sends out uh, warnings. Okay, that that makes more sense to, to have these things automated. Um, we're just going to have to uh, break for the news. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, coming on the show. We're, we're going to continue on this topic after the news with the Consul General of Turkey. And uh, we'd like to say goodbye to Professor Tanya and Joe, Assistant Professor, Earth System Science Program, Faculty of Science, Chinese University of Hong Kong. And Carol Sito, CEO, Save the Children Hong Kong. You can go to their Facebook page, LinkedIn page, web page to find out how you can direct either money or goods to help uh, the people uh, impacted by the, earth the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. We also have a notice from our friends at the Transport Department who are letting us know that there's a traffic accident and part of the lanes on Qingcheng Road in the direction of Kuntong near the Caritas Medical Center is still closed to all traffic. Um, only the lanes that are not impacted are available to motorists and there's a traffic queue that uh, extends up Qingcheng Road uh, and it ends at Kwai Chung Road near the Princess Margaret Hospital. So if you're out that way, please uh, either avoid it or exercise some patience, please. We will be back after the news. Uh, right now, we're giving you a quick hit on the weather this weekend, mainly cloudy, misty with one or two light rain patches. Um, looking to the weekend, we're worried about the uh, Standard Chartered Marathon because we're going to be talking about it later in the show today, but it looks like it's going to be humid and foggy in the next couple of days. Right now, the temperature is 20 degrees Celsius, 88% humidity. Poon, who is the Head of International and Relief Service for the Hong Kong Red Cross. Uh, good morning. Welcome to the show, Karen. Good morning. Good morning. Her uh, Karen Poon, what is the Red Cross, uh, the Hong Kong Red Cross specifically, doing to support uh, the relief efforts in Turkey and Syria? We are now launching up here in Hong Kong and hoping that um, Hong Kong public can, uh, you know, know more and pay attention to the humanitarian needs in both Turkey and also Syrian affected people. And uh, we are receiving designated donations so that we can support the international Red Cross movement, Turkish Red Crescent and Syria Arab uh, Red Crescent, to do more work on the ground. The volunteers and uh, staff, more than thousands of them, is now working around the clock to do search and rescue, providing first aid services, and also relief materials, shelter, hot food uh, to those uh, you know affected in both Turkey and Syria. Okay, and, and where can, if people in Hong Kong want to support, we, we had somebody on earlier from Save the Children, uh, but if people want to support through the Red Cross or Red Crescent, uh, where can they do that? 
Um, they can log on to our website, redcross.org, or they can call our donation hotline, which is 2802-0021, And we will be keep updating our actions, the Red Cross and Red Crescent actions on the ground. And um, our volunteers and staff is we really fighting for the critical window for saving lives. So we uh, think that we need to pull in relief and first aid and rescue, rescue efforts as soon as possible. And from Hong Kong, we are also providing uh, thermal blankets uh, to the people affected in Turkey because it is a very severe winter right now in Turkey and people are suffering under snowstorm. And we know that this is very critical for the families that have um, been waiting for the news for their loved ones uh, and also for those that have lost their shelter under the earthquake. Okay, Council Joan, uh, when, when everybody's trying to come at once, I mean, the Red Cross is trying to go, say the children's trying to go, uh, you know, friendly countries, militaries are trying to send in their aid. How does that all get coordinated? If they're all fighting to, you know, for airspace or runway time, I mean, are there planes circling the airport, you know, try, trying to get, I mean, like, how, who, how does that all get coordinated? Uh, yes, from our oh. experience, right after earthquake, this is extremely um, important for us to have good coordination mechanism on the ground. Now, um, on the ground, we will coordinate with different parties, especially with the government um, uh, on the logistics side. And our Turkish represent and also Syria Arab represent, they have their humanitarian access, not, um, you know, not just after the earthquake, but before the earthquake, we are providing a lot of aid to the vulnerable, especially there are a lot of refugees living there. Uh, over the years because of the, the conflicts there, in, especially in Syria. So we know that um, uh, it will be difficult, but we do have the existing coordination mechanism that we can actually, you know, better support with uh, relief materials and items that, um, you know, overlap the materials, but then we can provide aid to the suffered um, families. Okay, and, and Consul General, you know, she said the, the government, but I mean, is it is it the AFDA that is responsible for coordinating all these different groups, including international groups? Um, uh, AFAD coordinates all the search and rescue teams' uh, arrival and their, like, um, uh, their access to the area. So uh, when it comes um, uh, to the international uh, support, most of the um, uh, flights, if they are not chartered, they first go uh, uh, to, through Istanbul Airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which has a very strong um, infrastructure to direct uh, to the other airports in the region. We also use uh, all other types of uh, transports, including land Mm -hmm. uh, highways uh, to connect uh, to the area. The area also, like uh, as I mentioned, this earthquake uh, uh, affected uh, 10 provinces, and um, we have airports in all of these, including uh, one of the worst at Antakya. Hatay Airport will be also uh, operational very soon, I think in a couple of days. Uh, first, uh, most of the uh, air, air, air traffic is uh, diverted to Adana Airport, and from Adana, uh, through the highways, uh, they are connected to the uh, region or the other airports in the affected uh, area. So um, uh, the coordination, of course, when it comes to the um, uh, programming all these um, uh, search and rescue teams, it is AFAD, but uh, we are using all our capabilities, uh, including uh, civil aviation, uh, military, etc. 
uh, to coordinate all these efforts. Okay. Um, I have a little bit of knowledge in particular of, of, a, of a, the Chungkong Infrastructure Group. And within their group companies around the world, they're doing planning for uh, climate change and disaster response. And what, something interesting was that everybody in the company has a role to play during a disaster. So if Hong Kong gets hit by a, a, ty- a big typhoon like we had a couple of years ago, everybody at Hong Kong Electric has a disaster-specific role that they have been trained on. Um, is the same true for the consulate here in Hong Kong? Like when something like this happens, like you know you, who you have to contact in Hong Kong, your staff know who they have to contact in the community. I mean, do, do, are you are you guys? It, it, does everybody have a role to play? Uh, been prepared uh, for? We do have we do have this emergency plans uh, uh-huh. when there's a crisis situation. Of course, like we start directly to work around the clock. And uh, our foreign ministry uh, is um, uh, very well equipped to uh, coordinate this communication with all the uh, foreign embassies and consulate channels. Now, um, uh, we uh, work at top urgent um, alert level. So, like, we are receiving um, the communication like 24 hours, and we have all other like uh, communication groups to coordinate all the efforts all around the world. Uh, so. Uh, the coordination level is really high in that context. And I saw you had a you had a visit from the acting chief executive of Hong Kong. Uh, yes, he was very kind uh, to visit, and he signed uh, the book of condolences, which is still open in our consulate general until uh, tomorrow. And we had a, like a short meeting with him afterwards. Uh, he extended his uh, condolences and also his message of support. As you know, Chief Executive is now in um, the, the Middle East, so uh, he, he came to, the, to our consulate as the acting Chief Executive. Yeah. And the same night we met at the airport to, uh, to attend the ceremony of dispatching the Hong Kong SAR team mm-hmm. uh, to Turkey. Uh, I would like to again uh, on this occasion um, express our gratitude uh, for the support and for the visit of the acting CEO to our consulate. Okay, and, and aside from, uh, you know, obviously there's the 59 search and rescue people that are going, plus, plus dogs, I believe. Uh, there were two the dogs, uh, two, two, dogs. Two, two trained dogs, and, um, uh, and uh, search and rescue equipment uh, of uh, 10 tons. Uh, so we arranged uh, their Turkish Airlines um, uh, seats for all of them, uh, including the dogs. They went in the cabin with the team so that they don't get separated uh, sure. because uh, all the coordination in Istanbul could be a bit complicated to divert them mm-hmm. to Adana. So. Um, uh, uh, I've received today that they're already heading uh, to the area. Maybe they're already started uh, the search and rescue operations. Okay. And did, were they, did he come with any other specific uh, measures that they could take to help? Uh, yes. Um, uh, the acting chief executive, uh, he mentioned that uh, they are ready to dispatch more units if the uh, units on the ground, uh, they have their direct uh, 24-hour channel with uh, the Hong Kong government here. So the, the unit dispatched from here. So according to the reports that uh, they will receive, they made, he said they are ready to send more uh, units. And also um, uh, we communicated again uh, yesterday with uh, all around the world, with all governments, some uh, basic, um, 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 apart from these in-kind uh, contributions, some uh, medical supplies, etc., mm-hmm. uh, some equipment. So um, uh, Hong Kong government was also during that meeting, they were very ready to um, um, provide more support if needed. Okay, and and Karen Poon, for you guys, if I, I gather that you're you're collecting money, you're collecting goods here. In the first part of the show, we heard about you know we heard from the consul general the goods that are most needed. Uh, are there? Do you do you do you kind of stay in here, and this is where you deal with things, and you just send it over, and then it gets picked up by the by the maybe the Red Crescent. I don't I don't know if the Red Cross is on the ground there, but I know the Red Crescent is. Um, do, do you kind of have a division of labor in that sense? 
the, the Turkish Red Crescent is really, really doing a very good job on the ground, search and rescue, and also delivering materials. Um, in the same time, we understand that, uh, you know, sending material is very important. We also understand that, you know, if we could, um, uh, you know, gather some cash for the local people, for the Turkish Red Crescent and International Gold Red Cross to buy the things locally, and that would really, really help the um, operation to be more efficient and send the goods, uh, you know, right away to the people in need. So um, we would uh, recommend and we would um, um, ask for the, the public, uh, you know, really support whatever that you can. And if you have the ability to support relief materials and most of all some cash so that um, uh, the organizations on the ground can buy the things they're in the market and then they can send it to the uh, affected people uh, immediately. So, so would you say relief material is more important at this stage or um, money? Ms. Poon? No, I think um, what, what I mean is that the money is going to buy the relief material on the ground. So you buy it there and then to be better fit the culture, to fit the materials and fit uh, what the people need, what the affected people need on the ground. Yeah, but um, for, for people in Hong Kong, if they really want to help, would you uh, suggest they uh, donate uh, relief material or donate money? I would suggest them to donate money if uh, they have the ability because they would, that would also save the cost of transportation, uh, you know, over the way to Turkey and that it would be more fast and more quick uh, for the materials to go to those affected. We, we've been talking a lot about Turkey today because we have the Consul General here, but we, we probably shouldn't neglect the, the situation in Syria as well. Um, is, is the Red Cross able, the Red Cross and the Red Crescent, are they able to get into some of the affected uh, areas in Syria? Because that's uh, a uh, contested part of the world, putting it mildly. Yes, uh, actually, right after the earthquake, the Turkish Red Crescent, because most of the volunteers and staff, they are local people. They live around the neighborhood of, uh, you know, the, the most affected earthquake area and they pull on their you know red cross volunteer jacket and then they go we are on the ground right away and coordinated very uh you know closely with the government mm -hmm. to ensure that we leave efforts as, as delivered as efficient as possible and uh, uh um, you know we really helping the vulnerable people yeah are they, are they able to get into the areas of northern syria that have been affected though in Syria, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, Syria, Red right, Crescent, right, they are also working in the northwest part of Syria uh, before the earthquake. So we have been providing long-term uh, assistance to the refugees actually living there. There are 300,000 refugees living in that area. And we have been always providing materials there. But we know that the situation now is uh, complex. Especially after the earthquake, the debits have been blocking some of the essential roads, and uh, it, there are still uh, earthquakes. So we need to be very careful with our volunteers and staff working there, the security, and in the same time fighting around the clock to ensure the materials, the medicine, the medical care can be delivered um, to the area. All right. Would you say the situation um, there is more serious than in, in Turkey? Um, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to compare, <laughs> I imagine, between between the two places. Yeah. Ms. Poon? Hello? Ms. Poon? And Ms. Poon might be experiencing some what we call technical difficulties um, in the business. Um, uh, Consul General, so as, as we look forward, I mean, this is going to be a top-line news story uh, for the next little while. 
Um, how do you keep it in the headlines after, you know, in the, over the next couple of weeks, next couple of months when, you know, when the, when the real, re- I mean, because there will still be a vital need for months, perhaps even years to come. Uh, how do you kind of keep people's attention focused on this over time or, or what is an appropriate level of focus to have as this goes on? I think we will do like everything to keep the focus uh, on this um, uh, crisis as long as possible, as you said, because this will take weeks, months, even uh, more uh, to fully recover. Like um, as for your question for Syria, our government is also like um, helping the aids to be ch- to be ac- to access to the uh, region. Mm-hmm. As you might know, like uh, from the very beginning of the Syrian crisis, the Turkish government, Turkish people, we have been providing a huge uh, support and uh, to the refugees. Uh, Turkey is one of the co- Turkey is one of the countries. Not one of the countries, actually. It's the country that uh, accepts most refugees in the world. And um, we also like coordinate the efforts, like help coordinate the efforts to access um, aid uh, to the Syrian uh, affected areas of this earthquake as well. So um, uh, maybe we're getting towards the end, I think. Um, Andrew, thank you very much again for like uh, letting us um, uh, speak today about the earthquake. Um, uh, before closing, I w- again want to um, wish God's mercy upon all those like, who lost their lives. And we uh, wish a speedy recovery to all injured. Uh, and we hope that uh, we receive uh, more good news of like saving lives um, uh, from the region. And um, uh, let's uh, hope uh, the, the future for the region and um, uh, for our countries will be better for the people, uh, better in the coming period. Right. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just squeeze a little question before you go. Um, I, I know when we talk about this earthquake as a natural disaster, um, and of course the focus should be on rescuing survivors, but uh, would you say it's unavoidable um, that it may possibly have some impact on the upcoming general election? What do you think? I mean, what sort of impact would it have? Uh, I think uh, at this moment we are only focusing on the, the humanitarian side of this uh, uh, this uh, issue. So I'm leaving that question to uh, to political analysts. I mean, at this stage, uh, what we focus is like uh, the, the the disaster itself. All right. Well, thank you very much. We, we understand you must be super busy right now uh, with a lot of things. So uh, we'd like to thank you very much, the Consul General of Turkey and Hong Kong and Macau, Piami Kalyanshu. Thank you very much for joining us. Also, thank Karen you. Poon, Head of International uh, and Relief Service with the Hong Kong Red Cross. Thank you to you both. Thank you, Andrew. Thank You're you, Janice. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and we are back on back chat, uh, and we are uh, switching gears a little bit from the situation in Turkey and Syria. And we are now going to be talking about an event that is returning to the streets of Hong Kong, the Standard Chartered Marathon. And we are going to welcome on the show now Peter Hopper, who is an amateur marathon runner, but uh, he's also in the business of running. He's a partner at Gone Running, a retail uh, outlet here in Hong Kong. Good morning and welcome to the show, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Peter, how pumped up are you that this marathon is back? Well, we were all over the moon. I mean, it's, um, it's been a long time. And in February this year, not only do we have the standard chartered, of course, but we also have the Vibram Hong Kong 100 and we have the Oxfam Trail Walker. All back as proper racing rather than virtual racing. So it's wonderful. It's great for the community. I know, I know thousands of people who are actually pumped up and excited to be back out on the streets again this this coming weekend excellent and you've you've got a you've got a ticket this year which i understand is not easy to come by is that right it was it was really really tricky um i didn't make it particularly easy for myself but 
which I'll tell you about. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a challenge, I think, for the Hong Kong Three A's because they've had like a backlog of people who've entered for previous races and not got in because of all the changing regulations. So they had to take all that into account, and they wanted to to, to try to give some priority to that. So there's lots of different levels of entry. I was lucky enough to actually get into what they call the challenge race for the half marathon, and then I missed the email to pay, so I got kicked out. Oh, oh! <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but then I managed to get back into what they call a non-challenge race because through our running club, the Gone Runners, we have a few um, priority places. So I was fortunate enough to get to get back in. So it wasn't a disaster, but it, it, was, it was totally my fault. But it kind of highlighted the complexity of actually entering this year because of all of these different levels. But you know, I think we're all more than happy to put up with that because it's just great to be back out again. Right. Gotcha. Can, can you tell us a bit about the route? I mean, will it? Uh, is it going to start in Chim Sha Cho? Where does yes. it go? Yes, I think it's always started there. I mean, I've been involved in this race, I think, now for the best part of 20 years. It's always started in Chim Sha Cho. The, the route has changed a bit because, of course, we've added the Stonecutters Bridge now uh, for the last whatever it is, 10, 10 years or so. So that's 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 more of the route. So so basically the first half is a long climb up the highway and out over the Stonecutters Bridge, which is actually a general uphill, you know, it's not t- terribly steep, but it's it's kind of a long climb. And then the second half, you run all the way back around the highway and a gradual downhill and down through the Western Harbour Tunnel and then uh, turning turning uh, east and then running down through Central, uh, past the Convention Centre and then on through Wan Chai all the way to Victoria Park. So it, it's, it's actually very nice. And it's, it's also great this year because they've separated again the 10K race from the marathon and the half marathon race. Last, last, last time they did it, I think because of restrictive policies, they had to put the 10K together with the, the half and the full, and that means that the Central Harbour Tunnel gets, sorry, the Western Harbour Tunnel gets very full of people and it's, it's really congested. So uh, this year it should be a lot better. Oh, so there, so is it going to be taking up more road space than it has in past years? Well, right in the beginning of this, they, they always did run the, the all of the races together. And actually a, a friend of mine, Keith Chan, and myself got together quite a few years ago and actually asked the Hong Kong Three years if they could separate the 10K from the rest of the the, the the race because it meant that when you got to the, to the Western Harbour Tunnel, all the races came together. And at that time, it was like 70,000 people running. I think this year it's 37,000. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine that there's an awful lot of people trying to run through there and run up through Central and into Victoria Park. And it used to get to be very, very difficult to run. So the Hong Kong Three Years did agree to that and they actually moved the the 10k out onto the um, the island and starting effectively from Victoria Park and ending there. So it, it does separate and it makes it, 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 it's back to what it used to be. Um, so it's taking up the same road space as it, as it has done for the last few years, and it will be a better race as a consequence. That's better for people that are trying to set a personal best time, or exactly. even even the best yeah. time ever at the Hong Kong uh, Standard Chartered Marathon. How are, are are there are big names back? Are we are we expecting some of the world's best runners at this thing, or is this I, considered mid tier? I don't think so. Not this year, because no. um, I mean, originally the race had a relatively limited 
number of people. I think it started at 25,000. And given what I was mentioning before about the backlog or um, a lot of people who had races, it was very restricted. And then only at the very last minute did it um, get expanded to 37,000. But I think there's a lot of local people who uh, are, are very happy now to be able to be involved in this. So I think this year will be more of a local race, um, hopefully maybe in in a year's time when we can get back to the to sort of total normality and people being able to travel. Uh, because when it, when it started, of course, it wasn't easy to, for people to travel. So, so when it was all launched, it, it wasn't that easy. But now it is. Right. So hopefully next year there'll be we'll be back to sort of seventy thousand people. There'll be lots of international runners, and it'll be great. But it'll be great for the local population here, local, the local community here, to be able to participate in a, a more local race. Sounds a little bit like uh, the Rugby Sevens. You know, people are happy they can get sure. tickets for a couple of years until the international community comes back, and then, then everybody will start being able to complain they can't get in again. <laughs> Probably, yes. <yeah. laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit interested in uh, how you've been preparing for this marathon. How, how's training been going? It's been going well, thank you. Um, so within our running club, we, we, we started probably about three months ago, and we set up, we always have kind of regular runs every day of the week, normally and what we did was we tailored that to marathon training and that generally means that we have a tuesday track session which we do in aberdeen sports ground and we have a big group of people turn up there we do a sort of more of a, a pacey run uh, long long intervals tempos on thursday and then we have a sunday long run and again nice thing that's that's happened recently is that the the waterfront now is a lot more open than it used to be we we're able to run all the way around from the convention centre right the way around through Kennedy Town, Port Fulham, Aberdeen, right out to Ripple Bay. So we, we had this nice long Sunday run. So we had, we've had a big group of people involved in that, lots of help, and um, support, advice, and getting people basically ready f over the last three months to take part this weekend. I've, I've got an email here, uh, something I wouldn't have expected, but here we go. This is from Skating Guaylo. Are we allowed to say the G word on air? I don't know. Well, it's, I already said it, so there it is. Um, I have previously reached out about asking if they could include roller skating as a leading or trailing group in the marathon, but they don't reply and don't really seem to care about anything but promoting standard chartered. So the question is, would they consider other participants such as inline skating and other possible formats? That's from Skating Guadalupe. And I'll, I'll, I'll supplement that a bit. A friend of mine uh, was very involved in the campaign to get wheelchair athletes and hand cycling uh, in the marathon, which they did eventually. But uh, are you aware of other formats, whether it's uh, wheelchair, I'm not actually. inline skating? I know that a lot of the other big marathon, marathons do have these um, additional events, and they're fantastic. I mean, seeing the... I was watching the Berlin Marathon and watching the, the wheelchair event was, was fantastic. These, these these folks are phenomenal athletes, and it's mm -hmm. great to see. I, I think what's... what's I, I, I don't know. I can't speak for Hong Kong three years, but I think one of the challenges in Hong Kong is just the difficulty of closing the roads and, and keeping things secure. And that's possibly a reason why it's more difficult to include... Uh, different formats. I mean, we sponsor, as Gone Running, we actually sponsor um, uh, one of Hong Kong's leading lady inline skaters, uh, Mimi, uh, Mimi Wong. She, she's actually a really good runner. It would be great to see her competing. But um, unfortunately, I think, I think at the moment it's just a little bit restricted to get people 
safely. But you'd have to ask Uncle Therese if that is the reason. But I, I, I'm speculating that that could be part of a part of the reason at the moment. Right, and I, I guess Standard Chartered is not really the people to ask. It would be because they don't run it. It's, it's the no. South, South China Athletic Association. No, is it's right? the Hong Kong Three A's. It's the Hong Kong. It's the official body for athletics in Hong Kong, which is part of part of World Athletics. Uh-huh. They are actually the organisers of this. Okay. Standard Charters is just the sponsor. Right. Or just the sponsor. It is the sponsor. It's a massive contribution, but it's the sponsor. Gotcha. And, I mean, you, you also run a business in the running space, and I, I, I know another guy that runs a, a, a you know, business similar to yours. Uh, and I remember he said that it was a real blow when COVID came because a lot of their, and, and starting with the protests actually in 2019, because a lot of their business uh, were people that came down from mainland China to get things they couldn't get in China, uh, which is kind of surprising. You think it'll all be manufactured there. But are you, have you been seeing an uptick in business with these major events coming back into play? Well, races in general are, are a big influence on the business. I think it's, it's to do more with people being uh, you know, involved and getting trained up and having training programs and being motivated to actually participate in the race. So that, that drives people to do more running, do more activity. So, yeah, I mean, we've started to see it. it we had a very quiet January this year. I think a lot of people were traveling. So that's another factor. We haven't yet seen the massive wave of foreign tourists coming back to Hong Kong. So that that is still to happen. I think we're kind of hopeful that that will happen soon. I think the um, the driver for us is things like races, like this happening, and that encourages people to train and to be involved. There are other groups. I mean, there's been a lot of hiking during mm-hmm. uh, COVID sure. uh, when people couldn't travel and the, the gyms were, sh- were closed. They would go out hiking, so they would buy slightly different gear, but, but they would still buy gear. So by no means have we suffered as much as some of the food and beverage has. I think, I think we've been lucky that we've managed to appeal to a, a large group of different types of people. Right. So we've, we've done okay. I mean, it's, uh, I would, we wouldn't complain about, about that. All right. Well, I uh, hope you do okay or better this weekend, uh, your half marathon effort. Uh, no complaining allowed. This is Peter Hopper, amateur marathon runner and partner of Gone Running, uh, a retail outlet in Wan Chai. All right, and thank you very much to all of you for listening, calling, getting on our Facebook, sending us emails. Uh, I'd like to thank our producers today, Yuki Tsong, uh, and new to me, Kara Ha. Uh, also our sound man today, James Lung. Uh, get, be back here for more Back Chat on Monday with uh, Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. I'm going to give you a quick hit on the weather. Mainly cloudy today, uh, misty with some rain patches, but a high of 25 degrees uh, weather for the marathon over the weekend it's going to humid and foggy in the next couple of days warm on sunday and monday current